Have you ever wondered what it's like to actually work in fashion? Have you ever thought if life really imitates movies and working in fashion looks anything like The Devil Wears Prada? Maybe you think that fashion is really not that interesting and it is just a superficial thing. Well, today's episode and actually this week's theme is Fashion Week. Not necessarily just Fashion Week, but I want to say the business of fashion. So today's episode, I am super excited. I will be giving you my behind-the-scenes look of what it is actually like to be working in the fashion industry. Let's go. Hola, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pretty Sure Podcast, the podcast where we talk about life, love, travel, business, and everything in between. Life tends to get messy sometimes, and nobody really taught us how to live it. With your new best friend, confidant, and host, yours truly, Sabrina. I will always have your back, and it is my mission that you never feel alone again, because I'm always here. So fasten your seatbelts, because the ride is about to get really bumpy. Welcome to season two. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Pretty Sure. I'm so excited to have you here. And FYI, you can't really see me. I wish I could record this, but if I do, you would not be able to see my face. And I look absolutely ridiculous because I posted on Instagram last week saying that the best ways to record a podcast episode for sound-wise is either under a blanket or in a closet. And if you can do both, it is even better. And so lo and behold, I keep my promises this week. I'm actually recording in my quote-unquote podcast studio, which is basically just a glorified closet. And under a blanket, I will post a picture on Instagram so you can see it and I will leave it there on highlights as ridiculous things or something that I do. (laughs) In any case, I just wanted to remind you as usual, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't have to be having your attention 100% on the show. You can be cooking, you can be washing, you can be driving, you can be drawing, you can do anything that you want. And you can still be listening to our podcast in the background because information still goes in your mind, regardless of if you're 100% paying attention or it's only 50%. So you can do whatever you want and you can listen to me and you can just continue on your day. Um, so back to the topic, fashion. Fashion is part of my soul. It is something I cherish and hold very dearly, but I think I've mentioned in a previous episode that I had to leave the fashion world because otherwise I feared not only for my sanity, but what I feared for the most was how I would maybe turn into a bad person. Not necessarily saying that everyone that works in fashion is a bad person, so there is a distinction. I'm just saying that the environment tends to be generally negative and very heavy. Obviously, if you haven't worked in the fashion industry, you can only go by what movies say, what the press writes, and you know those horror stories of previous interns being treated like shit and companies not being responsible and all of that. 
obviously with 2020, we've had an incredible awakening, I want to say, in most industries, especially in fashion, you know, with Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of companies have taken steps to try and mend the situation. I know there have been a lot of CEOs and bosses that have resigned from their corporate positions so that they can leave way for um, colored people and people from other nationalities. So while that is not the only solution and while that doesn't mean that they are doing good, at least some steps are being taken. But that is not the topic of the day. The topic is to give you some juicy secrets, some juicy insights, and maybe a lesson or two into how the business of fashion actually works. Which, coincidentally, if you don't know, there is a website called Business of Fashion, which was started by Iman Amred or Imran Ahmed. I always get it wrong. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering this. I love Business of Fashion. It has been kind of like my Bible for so many years. It helped me survive college. It helped me kind of like create articles and just a ton, a ton of things. So I'm forever grateful for finding that site. And FYI, if you are a student, you can get access to their professional pricing platform for free. So go check it out, Business of Fashion click on subscribe and then there has to be like a student option. You just put your student ID email. So it has to end in edu or some sort of thing like that. And then you get free access. It is a really cool resource. They have some of the best journalists writing articles ranging from fashion week. So covering clothes, covering trends, covering what brands are doing, who's copying who, where they get their inspiration from all the way to what company was recently bought by what big group, how everyone is doing, what are the new trends, what's happening in China, what's happening everywhere else. So definitely go check it out if you're curious. There's so many great articles and they also release the State of Fashion, which is a small ebook that they release every year talking specifically about what is happening, what are the new trends, what's up and coming, and where the industry is going. So enough promotion for business of fashion for today. Um, But back to the business of fashion topic. So there are a gazillion different careers you can take while working in fashion that range from fashion journalist to fashion designer, fashion stylist. You can be on the model side. You can be a photographer. You can be a fashion illustrator. You can be a um, fashion documentarist. You can be, you can work in a museum. You can be a fashion museum curator. You can work in retail. You can work in corporate retail. You can, you know, there's so many different professions that you can do within fashion. But people tend to think, oh, fashion. Yeah, you're either a designer or like a model. See, when I was studying fashion and I would tell people, oh, I'm studying fashion marketing, they would be, telling me, oh yeah, okay, so you're studying fashion. So you're really not doing anything. Like what it is that you're learning. And then I'd come up with like these crazy ideas. I'd come up with a lot of information, research, and they'd be really surprised. They'd be like, oh my God, where did you get that from? And I'm like, I'm telling you, I am studying fashion marketing. So yes, while it is focused on fashion, it is focused on, you know, we have to know about trends. We have to know about designers. We have to know about stuff like that. But we also have to know about the business side because this is something that 
a lot of people still to this day don't understand. Fashion is, or at least was, I'm not entirely sure what the state of fashion this year is with COVID. There's a lot of changes, so I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen to the industry. So I'm glad I left when I left. But it used to be a billion-dollar industry, and it was set to become a trillion-dollar industry. Is there a lot of waste? Yes. Is it sustainable? Not necessarily. Could it be better? Could practices improve? Could stuff be better? Could the industry in general be better, be more open, and be more accepting, and be less critical? 100% yes to everything I said. Does it mean that it's not profitable? No. It is profitable as hell because... It is a well-oiled machine. And I could literally talk about this for days, hours, and ages because like I mentioned, I spent, I want to say eight years studying fashion. Literally, that was what I did. So I'll tell you a little bit about what I studied and then I'll go a little bit deeper into what goes into everything. And then we can cover some professions that I've done, what you work, what do you do in a showroom, how people, like how clothes are actually decided for in stores, because it is a very fascinating process. So my love for fashion actually started when I was a child. I don't know why. I think it was my mom's best friend. Shout out to Ray and Becky if you ever listened to this. So I think it was my mom's best friend and her style. She had a very refined lady style. And, you know, I admired it when I was younger because we didn't see those types of things in Mexico back in the day. She was, she's American. So, you know, she had um, a different sense of style. And Ever since then, I just became obsessed for some god-awful reason. Like, please, someone kick me. I was obsessed with Victoria's Secret. So when I was eight or nine, um, I had this unhealthy obsession of saying that I one day was going to become a Victoria's Secret angel, and I was going to become like this super smart mind, and I was going to bring smartness into fashion because into modeling world because. I used to have the misconception that models were mentally challenged. I don't want to say dumb. I don't want to say stupid. But I used to have this misconception that they were only doing it because of their looks and they didn't know anything else and they lacked knowledge from many things. Boy, was I wrong. And boy, was that one of the biggest lessons I think I took from working in the fashion world. So back to the whole thing. Never judge a book by its cover and never think things are as they are just because it is the status quo or it is what everyone thinks. Yes, there are instances where that is true, but that is not the norm and that is by no standards the general or the average, right? So I used to want to be a model. I was tall enough. I was never really skinny enough, but that didn't stop me. I did lose weight and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I thought I was gorgeous. I thought so many things. And I was like, I'm going to be a great Victoria's Secret angel. I'm going to be a supermodel and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to bring smart and brains into the fashion world. And I'm going to go on and participate in this universe. And, you know, all of these crazy, crazy dreams when I was young, obviously, nowadays they're very problematic and my views have changed on it. But basically, that is where my love for fashion started. And so, Obviously, the devil wears Prada rolls around, and I've always been a reader. My whole life, I've been a reader. I've adored fashion magazines. I've adored any type of magazine. I would read articles. I would devour it. I would just be like, please buy me a magazine, Dad. And I would beg him to buy me magazines. 
And we used to live in the north of Mexico, so we did get access to American magazines. So I grew up with Nylon and like American Vogue, InStyle, and all of those really, really interesting publications. So that's kind of like where my love for fashion and journalism also began. So I started thinking, you know what, my career as a model is just never going to take off. I am not suited for that. You know, I'm not skinny enough. I'm not whatever enough. It's okay. I'm just going to find another way. And I thought I wanted to be a journalist. So I grew up kind of with that. I gave up after a while. And then I was kind of lost for a bit. I was like, I don't know what to study. I don't know what to do with my life. Always have loved fashion, but it's not really prominent in Mexico. So the knowledge I had was pretty limited. I had an innate sense of style and a love for fashion. Obviously, Gossip Girl, that was like the epicenter of fashion. So I was obsessed with it. <laughs> I even went to New York for, I think it was like my 16th birthday or 17th. I can't even remember. I, was, I think it was 16th. So I convinced my parents to go to New York for my birthday. And they were shooting one of the episodes, like one of the last episodes of Gossip Girl. and. There was this Twitter page at the time that would tell you where in what cities they would be shooting stuff so you could kind of like go visit the set or whatever it was. And so I was following it. I had alerts on my phone and I guys like I was obsessed with Gossip Girl. You have no idea like Chuck Bass is as problematic as he is. He was really hot. Their relationship was cute in the end. You can fight me on this. I stand by what I'm saying. Blair and Chuck is just like the best thing. So anyway, I was obsessed with it. I obsessed, was obsessed with fashion to the point where we're in New York. We're there for like two days for my birthday. I find out they're recording one of the episodes near where we were. I trick my parents and I tell them, oh, I think around here there's supposed to be like a really cool store or like a site that we all have to see. Like, let's go this way. So I go that way and lo and behold, I start seeing papers and flyers all over saying, this street is closed, no parking allowed because we are filming Gossip Girl. And I nearly died. Like, I promise you, I just, I had an attack. Like, I was, I was just, I was not okay, but in a good way. Basically, I ran into Nate Archibald, um, Chase Crawford. Hi, if you're ever listened to this, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I ran into Chase Crawford. I didn't realize it was him. So I missed my opportunity to get an autograph or like a picture. Then we went to the Empire Hotel and I actually was face to face with Chuck Bass and I saw him film a scene and that was kind of like the highlight of my teenage years. Like I was, that was, that was a pretty, pretty good moment. We ended up going inside. My dad managed to get in and the rest is history. I met them, took pictures, never talked to them, but just like was a couple of feet away from them. Anyway. Gossip Girl influenced my love for fashion even further. And I was like, the dream is to go to New York. The dream is to go to like FIT, study fashion journalism or study something. Go and do that. So when the time comes, I'm lost as to what to study. I don't know. Ended up choosing a degree that's something along the lines of public image. So kind of like PR, but they made it their own. So that was my crash course into being a stylist before I knew what a stylist was. Get a scholarship, move to Paris, go to fashion school, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is where my formal fashion education started. So I thought I knew stuff. Like, I thought I had read enough books. I thought I knew about designers. I thought I knew about things that happened. When I got to fashion school, 
let me tell you, that was an entirely different universe for me. I learned so many things and it was just incredible. I had this limited belief, like not limiting belief as in I thought I was less of, but I had this limited belief that fashion was superficial and there was nothing strategic about it. There was nothing really business decision-wise involved in fashion. For some reason, I just didn't understand how they would make money if like, there was no money to be made. Anyway, in fashion school, so I studied at Instituto Marangoni, which is one of the most famous fashion schools in the world. It is Italian. They have one in Milan, one in London, and one in Paris. So I studied there. I studied fashion styling for a year. It was really interesting. It was the time of my life, obviously, because partying and boyfriends and everything, but that's a topic for another episode. But that was a great, great experience because I learned about fashion film. So they had us watching films, analyzing it. We had to learn some aspects of clothing that you could be able to recognize the staples from designer to designer. So the same goes with like photographers and fashion models and everything, makeup artists. So we were trained to recognize what photographer had taken a picture based on their style or something specific that they would use, what designer some clothing was based off of some specific trait that their clothing had, and even what like what brand it was, sorry, and what designer it was. Because obviously, if you're not in fashion, you might not be aware of that the designers aren't usually in charge of their brands. So they just design and they use the brand name unless it's like a namesake. So unless it's like Anthony Vaccarello, he used to have his own brand, unless it's like Tory Burke, unless it's like Stella McCartney or all of those people. So basically it usually is a person So the older brands, I'm just going to say this, the older brands are obviously now owned by families or they're owned by people that have bought the brands. But in the past, and I'm going to give you a very clear example. So let's start with Yves Saint Laurent, okay? So Yves Saint Laurent was created by Mr. Yves Saint Laurent. If you haven't seen any of the movie biographies about him, please go check them out. They're amazing. My favorite. He is probably one of my favorite, favorite designers ever. Just, I love everything that he did. Freed a lot of women, you know, um, in terms of being able to use whatever they wanted. People think it was Chanel. And yeah, while Chanel, I'm totally going off topic, by the way, but like I said, I love talking about this and history of fashion. So if you are interested in this, please let me know. Send me a message. Post, like, give me a review. Give me any feedback. And I will gladly do a history of fashion podcast. I'm going to look for someone that's an expert and we can cover all of that if that is something that you guys are curious about. I really would love to know because I'm not entirely sure this will be interesting to many people. But anyway, Yves Saint Laurent, he used to be the designer and he created his namesake brand. I think it was back in the 50s. I might be wrong with the dates. I'm terrible at remembering dates. But basically back in the 40s, 50s, it was the greatest. So it was him, it was Dior, and it was Chanel. They were kind of like the golden ones. I think Chanel even started like the 1920s. Yves Saint Laurent might have 
started before as well. Again, I'm really bad with timing, but basically they were the owners of their brand. They started it, they did it by themselves. And then later on, they have been bought by groups. So there are big fashion groups. They own most of the brands nowadays. They are in charge. You know, there's like Pooch that owns Paco Rabanne. They own Carolina Herrera and they own a lot of makeup brands. There is the LVMH group, which, you know, they have Louis Vuitton, they have Hennessy, they have Moet, they have a lot of these brands. There are other brands, big brands that own smaller brands. And so all of these designers, you know, all we learned in school about all of these amazing, amazing things that they did, realized that a lot of muses, you know, why they were muses, what they did for them, realized why some collections are named some things, why products have people's names, where they come from, why, for example, Chanel bags have specific names. So there's like the boy bag, there's the 226, I think that's what it's called, the checked bag, you know, why everything is called like that, what goes into a fashion shoot. And listen, I just thought literally like somebody grabbed clothes, they would take a picture by someone famous and that would be it. Actually styling, like there's a lot to go into fashion styling because you have to actually think of a mood board. You have to be inspired. You have to think of a concept. And then once you have the concept, you have to show the concept through posing, looks, makeup, and everything. So let's say it is a Japanese-inspired shoot. So you have to come up with something unconventional. You have to come up with, okay, Japanese and what? Like maybe Japanese colorful or Japanese minimalist, whatever it is. Let's say a Japanese minimalist. So you have to look for brands out there that have pieces of clothing, like blouses, skirts, whatever it is that would be and fit into the theme. So be it a specific color, be it a specific fabric type, all of those things. So you choose the clothing and then you'd have to choose models. So models, you know, the different faces, different types, ethnicities, and all of that. So that's what you have to choose. You'd have to choose if they're plus size. You'd have to choose everything. From there on, you have to choose makeup. So you have to choose an inspiration of, are they going to be using minimalist makeup, no makeup, crazy makeup, different colors? Is it going to be soft? Do you want them to look really rough? Like what it is that you want to do? Hairstyle as well goes into it. Props goes into it. And something that a lot of people don't know or consider is poses. So stylists are actually sometimes even in charge of poses as well. And then the last thing is perspective and photography style. So if you don't know, in photography, you can have different styles where it is close-up, it is realistic, it is more fantasy, it involves different lightings, it involves different angles, it involves different camera types, film. You know, there's so many things to consider. And obviously, there's a team that goes behind all of this, but the stylists usually are the ones that control everything while giving a bit of freedom to the photographers. What usually happens is you have a mood board, you have everything in there, and then photographers will look at it, kind of interpret it in their own and go from there and they will be helping you as well. So that's what like a good team actually does. So styling is really interesting. And then everything goes on purpose in a magazine. It goes in terms of like style, time of year, um, what's famous, what's trending, and all of that. So it's a complete, complete, complete different type of work that has a lot of research in it. 
And something about trends is you might think a trend is, oh, I'm seeing this trend in stores like white t-shirts, long white t-shirts, or long white um, shirts for women. And you might be thinking, oh, it just started now. But the truth is, and here's a little secret that I learned from fashion school, there are actually trend researchers that develop a trend and come up with a trend two, three, even five years in advance. So what you're seeing now in stores has been trending in different subcultures and different parts of the world for years already. Someone had the idea to go capture that and say, this is going to be probably trending. Let's make it into a blouse for 2020. Let's make it whatever. Because another fun fact is designers don't work for the current collection now. So they usually work six months to one year in advance. Meaning what you see in stores right now, that would be for spring, that was created six months ago. It is a very complicated thing. That is why a lot of fashion designers and a lot of brands are aiming to just do it I can't remember the name right now, but it is basically, oh, see now, buy now. Yes, sorry. See now, buy now, which means the collection that comes out on the runway is the collection that they're selling now in the stores. It's a whole fashion revolution. It, again, I could spend hours talking about this. So if at any point you have any questions, feel free to message me. I have so much knowledge about this because I have seen it for so many years. So next step. There's trend researchers, they come up with a trend that they tell the designers, this is what's going to be big. This is a like, here's some pictures. Here's some stuff that's happening. This is new. Check this out if you want. Here's some inspiration. Same goes for fabrics. Same goes for colors. You know, like the Pantone color of the year. You think it's not fashion, but it definitely is fashion and it influences everything. But that color is not even chosen on the year. It's chosen like two, three years in advance. It's like an entire science. It is incredible. I wish I would have been a researcher to get into that, but that's not my style. So anyway, that happens. Then the designer creates the clothing, then fashion shows happen. And fashion shows are really interesting because they are well-oiled machines. They are crazy, crazy productions where there's a lot of teams involved. There's media, there's event planners. You have to account for every little tiny thing. You have to account for branded freebies that you give your front row guests, or you have to account for invitations. You have to account for people that will be accompanying you to your seats, how they're dressed. You have to account for types of chairs. You have to account for the actual runway style. You have to account for people that are serving water, you know, for the models backstage. You have to account for places where they're going to sit. You have to, you know, you have to account for changing. You have to account for so many things. A fashion show is insane to produce and they also don't come cheap. I wasn't aware of this before studying it and I was mind blown when I was studying. Actually, I had a module in my fashion marketing and communication degree. So after Paris, I moved to Barcelona to finish fashion marketing and communication, which I did for another almost three years where I saw the business side of fashion, which is where I learned even more. And then I moved back to Paris to do a fashion communication master's where I just like solidified my PR and marketing and all of that knowledge. But basically, 
I had a module in college that was all about designing fashion shows, and my mind was blown when I figured out how much people usually spend. Like, this is in the millions. It is quite possible to spend more than a million dollars or years or whatever it is on a single fashion show, which just blows my mind because you also have to account for having A listers. You know, some A listers. They don't, like, they want everything to be paid for, so they want their trip to be comped, which means that PR or a team in-house of the brand pays for it. They want to have their hotel paid for. You have to think about a driver. You have to think about their fee as well because you're going to send them free clothes that they're going to promote on social media. There's just, like, many, many different hidden costs that you don't think. So it is well worth up $1 million pounds, dollars, euros, whatever it is. And working at a fashion show, it's really interesting because there's just this raw, intense energy that I've never seen anywhere else. It's like you're stressed, but you're also not stressed, but everyone kind of knows what they're doing. But at the same time, no one has any clue. And even if it's super, super prepared for and everyone knows what they're doing, like something might go wrong, someone panics, a dress breaks, a model gets sick, um, someone falls over, you know, like stuff happens. And so just seeing that in real life was completely mental. And then after that, once the show is out, there is something called a showroom that happens. This is usually the day after the fashion show. And I've worked in about, I want to say, 15 showrooms or more. I've worked for the likes of Alexander Wang, Isabelle Marant, which is a French brand. I've worked for Burberry, which was a great experience. I worked for Azadine Alaya when he was still alive. Rest his rest in power, his dear, dear soul. He was a very kind human. I've worked for Veronica Beard, which is also a great brand. I met the director. So I met the vice president, actually, Stephanie Unwin. She's amazing. I actually interviewed her. So I'm going to link the article I wrote about her for my series because, side note, I was a fashion journalist, so I did a lot of pieces for an online magazine. I will talk about it another day on something that will be titled Working in Fashion. So this is all about things that happen within the fashion world that you might not be aware of. And then down the road, I'm going to do an episode all about what it's actually like to work in fashion. So back to a showroom. A showroom is an incredibly interesting place because at least before working in fashion, I wasn't aware how things worked. So I just thought a person designed, you know, like a person designed a dress, a person designed a collection, and then they would just like automatically send it to stores, you know, department stores, normal stores, boutiques. Boy, was I wrong. So here's what a showroom actually is. A showroom is an event, because I want to call it an event, that can last anywhere from three days to two weeks. And what happens in a showroom is it is a place where the entire collection, even things that didn't go into the runway but are part of the season, so bags, shoes, earrings, outerwear, clothing, men's, women's, children, if, if a brand has one, obviously, everything, absolutely every, every, every single thing that goes into the season's collection is displayed in a, I want to say a room, but it can obviously be like a building. It can be like a huge apartment. It can be whatever it is. For the concept, I'm going to say it's displayed in a huge room. And then buyers come and see the collection. And so 
buyers come from different companies. So it could be a buyer for a boutique brand, and this could be the owners or a specific person that is trained. It could be for department stores. So, you know, Macy's, Bergdorf, Gallery Lafayette, Pantin from Paris, you know, uh, Harvey Nichols, Harvey Nichols Dubai. All of these people, they come. It's usually one or two people, depending, unless it's like a really big offer, like a really big amount they're buying. And so they have to send multiple people so that each can do like women's, men's, children, whatever it is. Basically, this person comes from the store and they come and see and then they buy things. What I mean by buy is they make an order and they say, okay, they make an analysis first. So they see the collection and they say, okay, what will the Harvey Nichols woman want to buy? What would the Harvey Nichols man want to buy? And so they get the models because they have models specifically for showrooms. They get the models to wear the clothes so they can see the fit. They can see the color. They can make some changes if changes are possible. They're explained that maybe the prototype doesn't work correctly, but once it is in production, zippers will be better, you know, whatever it is, they're explained all of these things. And so they see the entire collection and then they purchase things. So they order, let's say, 100 of these blouses, 200 of these 10 of these others, 20 bags, whatever it is, and this and this color, etc. And so basically it is their entire stock for the season. That is the first order they do. So they get that sent, they get that signed, they signed purchase orders, they sign all these things and they get billed. And guys, this is like, and it could be upwards of 100,000, maybe even a million. It really, really depends. And so in these showrooms, it's not only fashion buyers from department stores, boutiques, and all of those places that are going there. It is also stylists. It is also really rich people. So like queens, kings, or whatever it is, if they're into fashion, they'll send someone from their department if they love the brand so that they can shop one or two looks. This is usually for wholesale. So these are all wholesale prices. Sorry, I forgot to mention that which means they get the clothes for quote unquote cheaper so that they can sell it for a profit in their stores. And then only really big names and stylists and stuff like that are allowed to purchase as well for their clients. Some stylists, you know, from magazines, they even borrow the clothes, which is an entirely different thing. I will talk about this one other day again, because I can talk for hours about what exactly a stylist does. Basically, they will rent the clothes, they will go shoot, they will go lend it to the artist that has a concert or some event to be there and they will wear it and they will return it. They will shoot it and then they will return it. And so these brands, these big companies buy X amount of clothing for hundreds of thousands of dollars and then they get it shipped to their warehouses and to their shops when they start delivering and then they actually sell. So again, what you see in stores now is actually a curation of products that happened probably six to eight months before they're actually available in store, unless it's something akin to Tommy Hilfiger, who, if you don't know, they were the first ones to do the see now, buy now approach, which means that whatever is in stores now actually came out now. Not entirely sure if they're still doing that, but that was the last time that I checked, so it could be. And so it is a very interesting job to be a fashion buyer for department stores or for your own boutique or whatever it is because you have to plan for things that will be sold in an X amount of time later. You also have to be very aware about what trends are coming, what products are strong, what your clientele will want to buy, tastes, colorways, styles, 
And you have to kind of take a bet and think, okay, this is what's going to sell out. I'm going to buy a more quantity of this. This is a risk, but it's really cute to have and it's more expensive. So maybe let's buy a lower quantity. So essentially you have to consider quantities. You have to consider styles and you have to consider so many things that could essentially make or break your brand because a mistake like that will mean that you have extra stock that you then have that you then sorry have to sell for less you have to just take it as a loss for your company and so many things so it is an entire art it is kind of like a science it is really fascinating it is just the most interesting process i've ever seen happen in front of my eyes and obviously on the other side so on the brand side the designer brand there are sellers. And so sellers is kind of like a PR salesy job. They have to smooch a lot with the buyers. You know, they have to have a good relationship with them. It's usually year after year, they have the same people because they're confident. They know them. They have trust in them. Um, Sometimes they even go as far as to make a pre-selection for the buyers so that they don't have to waste their time looking at things that's not going to be for them or out of their budget or whatever. So both the buyers and the seller have to be trained in details such as SKUs, you know, which just means the code that brands give their clothing so you can find it when you're doing inventory and all of those things. So they have to be well-versed in SKUs. They have to be well-versed in fabric types. They have to be also well-versed in, can you use this in dry cleaning? Like, is it easy to maintain? Is the quality good? Is the zipper lining this? If that, you know, is it see-through and all of those things. And by the way, what I'm talking about is only ready to wear. So I haven't even begun to mention couture. I think that's going to be an entirely different episode. And by the way, I have a great guest that is going to be coming on to talk about couture and actually the business of fashion. So, so many great questions that we're going to be able to ask them. But basically what you can see is the fashion industry is a very well-oiled machine. Is it as green? Is it as sustainable? No. Is it problematic? Yes. But the fact that it is a fascinating oiled machine and just so many different things that you don't see behind the scenes is what kept me passionate for so many years in the industry. And I was just like, I'm telling you, you think you know things for every brand. It is completely different. It is a different process. You know, you have people helping, you don't, you have departments, you don't, you have so many different things that go into play. It is just so, so, so interesting. I could continue talking about this for hours, but I am going to cut myself off here because I feel like I have given you so much information and such a big lesson on fashion. So like I mentioned, this week we're going to have Chris O on the podcast as well, or we had, depending on when this is released. And she will be talking about a bit of her experiences in the fashion world because she was also in the industry and then left to start her own business in something entirely different. So we're going to be talking about that. You're going to have this episode and I really hope you enjoyed this quick fashion lesson on what happens in the behind the scenes aspect of fashion business. Uh, this is all I have to give to you today, guys. I hope, as usual, you like the content. If you do, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It is super appreciated. It helps me know what it is that you like. It helps me know if these podcast episodes are stuff that you want to listen to. It helps me come up with better ideas. And, you know, it just gets me closer to you because, honestly, I love to know what you guys think. So leave a review. 
If you want to find out more, if you want to know about the schedule, upcoming episodes, I do go live on Thursdays. I always have a different guest every Thursday talking about their life, their story, and it's much more of a freestyled situation. So go check out the Instagram. It's at pretty sure podcast. You can find out everything that you want over there. Soon there will be a website. So I'm very excited for that. I will let you know once that is out. And if you by any chance are curious to be a podcast guest, not necessarily on this show, of course, if you want to be a guest, message me. But if you want to learn and you're curious about being a podcast guest, I have a freebie for you. And you can go to click on my link here in the description and you can download it and you will have my tips on how to be the best podcast guest, where to start, how to pitch yourself, what you have to say. And it's kind of like the secret formula that I've used to book guests for 20K followers, 30K followers, even 300,000 followers. So go download it and I will see you next week. Peace out, everybody. 